Welcome to Off the Bench with Danny Cannell. Danny Cannell. Back to throw versus Danny. Pete is tight end. And Raja Bell. Bell has done great things. 22 to Raja. It's all the future of football right before your eyes. Just yell it out, man. He can't guard me. All right, welcome to Cannell and Bell. Hanging out. Raja Bell, Danny Cannell. Big day. Ton of stuff to get to. The Warriors get beat, as we just uh, heard in that uh, up-to-the-minute uh, update. The Sixers handled their business, and something happened in hockey, which I think every sport should take a lesson from, and we should all copy it in other sports. All right, I'm sure we're going to get to that, but let me address yeah. something off the top. What's that? You just made it. You read. You had a read. Yeah. You said Pete Prisco and our quarterback, yeah. uh, uh, Brady Quinn. Yeah, right. Like, what is that, bro? I mean, <laughs> so, Brady's cool. Well, he is but he's our not quarterback. My quarterback. We do have a bunch of quarterbacks here, though. So, like, we are the quarterbacks of the company. Okay. I think right. that was actually an erroneous read all that right, I just read. Right, so, it might have, you know, somebody might be getting fired because that making us. Brady's my dude. Dude, but oh, I'm like, yeah, yeah. I'm like <laughs> that's right. Um, before we get to Russell Wilson, I have a question for you. It's a really personal question. Yeah. I hope you don't mind answering this. All right. When you're walking around, how much walk around cash do you carry in your pockets? Yeah. All right. That's good. I don't have my wallet on me right now, but this would be a good exercise. You have well, one. I have two dollars. <laughs> Thirteen. I've got twelve dollars. Twelve dollars. I don't even keep it like in a nice neat stack. Right. Either. Oh, but you do have a deeper wallet. Twenties, like they're sixty. Yeah, around yeah, like about probably eighty bucks. Yeah, something like that. Bucks, something I like would that, say yeah. I'm usually in that vicinity. Yeah. I'm probably like a lot of times I'll just bring my wallet and have one twenty, and then I'll see how long I can go without spending the twenty. Because yeah. I like to get the points from the credit card. Right. And it's just easier. You don't have all the change walking around. So it just, I'll have that. Full disclosure, I was at the bank like three days ago. Right. Generally, I've got like $2 in my pocket and I ask people for money because right. I use, I'm a card guy. So do you know why I'm asking this? Did you see what happened to I Doc Rivers? I did see that. So Doc Rivers carries around his walk around <laughs> money apparently is two grand. Two racks. Like you're just walking around with two grand. I understand like, He's in it like he makes a lot of money. Yeah. You made a lot of money though. We both like made that kind of money. Apparently, I guess not. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, some people I think is it's normal to them like to have emergency funds. We were talking about this with some of the staff. Right? They're like, oh yeah, my my dad or my uncle or somebody carries around over a grand. I, the only time I've ever carried over. 500, 500 bucks if I'm in Vegas and I just hit the winnings. Like yes. I won some money. Then I'll keep it in my pocket, but I'm putting it right in the bank. Right. When I used to travel with NBA teams, you get your stack of per diem when you go on the road. They, they just hand you a, an envelope full of money. Uh, if you're going on a six day trip on those trips, I had thousands of dollars walking around because they just handed me probably a thousand dollars. Right. Um, I wonder if that's why he had so much because it was that. It might have been. Yeah. Because they're on the road for probably five or six days. So that's probably like 700 bucks. If he walks around with close to a grand, you probably took some money out to have, yeah, he, it might have been, be interesting, man. I've never really walked around with more than a thousand dollars. I'm always worried sure. about losing it. Dude, you know? You know how many times I've lost a wallet or a phone? <laughs> I'm with you, man. Right. Give me 20 bucks. Exactly. And I'm good. Yeah, I'm sure. Credit cards for everything else, anything else you need. All right. Well, Doc Rivers had not only a good day because he had his money uh, handed back to him. Would you have good. given that back? Heck. There's not even a chance. No! <laughs> I wouldn't have done it. Two racks. And I would have expected maybe a reward. My hunch is the guy had no idea how much was in there. Well, if there was a hundo on the outside. Maybe like, all right, I'll give it back. But man, that'd be tempting. Uh, man, man, you gotta be smooth. You gotta watch him walk away. <laughs> exactly. Right? Make sure that the coast is clear. Grab it. Look right? at it. 
If you if knew it was somebody, like if you knew it was Doc Rivers or a celebrity, I might be more inclined to give it back so that maybe you get something. Two racks? I need <laughs> that's that, man. That's, boy, that's, that's somebody's rent. All right. Well, it was a great night for Doc Rivers because not only did he get the two grand back, but his team set an NBA record coming back from 31 down, end up winning the game against Golden State, 135 to 131. They were down 73 to 50 at halftime. I fell asleep because I was like, good. I love when the late games look like they're going to be blowouts because I'm like, sweet. I don't have to stay up that late. Check that. But they got after it, came all the way back, uh, stormed back. And now, to add insult to injury, Golden State has this issue with Boogie Cousins where there's a lot of people eyeing this uh, injury to his quad saying, man, this could be season ending. What does it mean for his future? We'll get at that in just a minute. Are you concerned at any point for the Warriors? Like that they, yeah. you are. Well, I mean, not in this series. I don't think that the Clippers are going to be able to beat them in this series. The Boogie thing is of concern to me. And I know the numbers don't support that they're a better team with him on the court all the time, but there will be a time in this playoff run that having a Boogie Cousins would be a really nice security blanket. And now doesn't look like they're going to have that. He's another guy. When push comes to shove, you can give the ball to. See, in this particular series, I don't know if you were trying to take me here. I think that their advantage could probably be in the paint with a Boogie Cousins or even in the paint with a Kevin Durant. If they're going to play Patrick Beverly on him, Patrick Beverly clearly is under his skin. Yep. I appreciate it. It's what I like yeah. to do. Uh, I, there's a soft spot in my heart for that. Kevin Durant, just big boy him. And to some degree, Steve Kerr. All right. You thought you were going to roll the ball out and you had better players and they were, and you were going to beat him in this, you know, fast paced, just playing a tuxedo type of game. Well, the Clippers don't play like that with guys like Patrick Beverly, Montrez Harrell, you know, Lou Williams. These guys are getting down. They're getting dirty. I think Steve Kerr needs to make an adjustment here. Put Kevin Durant on the block a little bit. Let him use that size. He had nine turnovers trying to dribble around and navigate through all these little pesky defenders. It's time for him to make a move on the on the chessboard and figure out how to get Kevin Durant some easy looks at the basket. He was five for eight from the field with nine turnovers. Most of those field goals came from the perimeter. He's got a six foot two pit bull underneath his legs. Put him on the block and figure out how to get him some easy looks at the basket. That's that right there that we're showing on our graphics. Unbelievable. LA, uh, the Clippers outscored Golden State 72 to 37 in the final 19 and a half minutes. I understand like you took out Steph Curry when you were up 30 trying to get some guys some rest and then it gets tricky, but you have too much talent to let that happen. I will say it is a tough spot, and I've said this a couple times in the show, and I think some people are like, what do you mean? It is kind of hard to play from a lead. When you're winning that much, like to really go for the dagger, typically, you know, it's a team where it just gets rough, and it's easier for the underdog in that sure. play. Because you're kind of like, well, we're getting blown out. Let's just play loose and carefree and see what happens. And then once you start working your way back in the game, then it kind of flips the script, and the other team gets a little bit tighter. Wait, we can't lose this. This is at sure. home. You know, we can't go down. We can't go 1-1. One, one. You start to squeeze it, and the other team, confident you can see it, building and building and building. I do think it makes this interesting. I have a feeling, though, that this could be one of those, quote, good losses for the Warriors that it kind of wakes them up. And I think Steve Kerr is always looking for something to light a fire under his team because right. they look bored half the time. And I would say this series is probably one they approached and they were like, eh, we just got to show up, like you were saying. Sure. And this can be something that Steve Kerr can use to get them motivated and finally get them to wake up. Yeah, they were locked in on a scale of 1 to 10 at, at, at like a 6. And that's fine when you are that much better than the team and the eighth seed knows their place, which I talk about all the time. Knowing your place is we're the sacrificial lamb. Let's just roll it out there. Let's take our four losses and let's go home. The Clippers aren't wired like that. And you might say, oh, no NBA team is wired like that. Yes, they are. There are guys that just show up, don't really believe that they have a chance to beat the number one seed, and so they lay down 0-4. The Clippers aren't treating it like that. Um, so you've got to take that a five or six 
uh, level of 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 uh, concentration, and it, it needs to be up to a seven or eight. To so my point about Steve Kerr, we got to do a little bit better in our game planning. We have to have a better strategy offensively to counter some of the things that the Clippers are doing to us defensively. Here is something that's gonna, and this goes back to the boogie. It ties in. They don't really have an answer, and this was Coca um, that brought this to my attention for Montrez Harrell. Montrez Harrell is like just doing. Dirty guy stuff, mm-hmm. you know, and I mean that as a compliment. Right. Just out there filling, seeing a need, filling a need, um, energy, hustle, and you're rolling out relatively stiff guys and Andrew Bogut and, and Kevon Looney, and they're not able to keep up. And it highlights how thin they become in the front line that the Warriors, that is, that will be a problem for them if Boogie Cousins has a torn quad moving forward. You know what I think is going to be an interesting dilemma of sorts? So they play Thursday night. Uh, I think the Warriors will wake up. I think they'll get that game. And then they play Sunday at 1230 local in L.A. Like, I think that presents some unique challenges because dudes are going to be going out. Nah. Like, they have extra time. No, they're not going out. Because of, uh, cause why? Because it's the playoffs? Yeah, don't do that. No, but I'm not. I'm don't saying do that. You, I know you're not supposed to. They might. That. You might be right. You know, you <laughs> might be saying, right. You might be right. right. You know, I would have probably been going out. See, that's what I mean. I definitely would have been going out because you have extra time. Yeah. A lot of times, maybe they go out Thursday night. Wait, they play Thursday, Sunday. That's a lot of time. I, if I were, if I were Golden State, I'd, I'd stay home until yeah. the very last minute. You're only talking about, I don't know. What yeah, it's that, a short flight, a couple hours. Flight, yeah, I would flight. definitely do that because I think that could present some challenges. Are you at all worried about Boogie long term? Like, if it comes back, there is some speculation that this is a torn quad, which presents issues for him as a free agent like he's gonna that yeah, you know, sucks for team, him it does suck for him it's a horrible timing now you're you're talking about a team that now has to take a swing on you because no one knows what you look like coming back from the ace i mean the achilles he was pretty much a shell of himself he's had some good moments um but he wasn't the boogie of old you were expecting that to be next year and you just wanted to see him kind of work his way into the flow with golden state have some really good playoff moments make sure that that thing was healed and healthy and if it's a quad tear, like a real tear, those things, they take a long time to heal. So now you're talking about into the offseason. He's not healthy when it's time uh, in August when free agency opens. And so I don't know who opens the bag up for Boogie, you know, when he's coming off of a, uh, an Achilles that you're not sure is completely healed because you didn't get to see enough. And now a quad that you don't know what that looks like moving forward. I am worried for him. And especially it is the same leg that it occurred on. You wonder if there's a correlation, you know, overcompensating, whatever Kinetic it is. chain, baby. Exactly. Kinetic chain uh, that could be there happening as well. You know what I miss about playing mm. in the NFL? Especially after a playoff win, uh, the post game meal, post game party, yeah. like you could, because you you wear you burn so much energy. Uh, how about our boy Lou Williams? See, he's after in the training room, boom, just killing some nachos, just yeah. crushing some nachos. <laughs> I don't know where he got those from. It is a peculiar choice for a post game meal. Um, you know, a lot of times uh, they'd have pizzas or something in there. For, it's not the healthiest options, which sure. again, this one isn't either. I'm a little surprised. Like in today's athlete, a lot of times they'll have like you know shakes, protein shakes to get you back in perfect. Yeah, that's like old school. That's my kind of style right there. Lou, Lou is an old school dude, <laughs> and he kind of marches to the beat. He's a good dude, marches to the beat of his own drum a little bit, but cut from that old school cloth. He's been in the league a while. Yeah, we were talking earlier in the show about Doc Rivers carrying around two thousand dollars. Somebody who might be caring about a lot more than that is mm. walk-around money is mm. Russell Wilson, who has already been paid once in his first contract. Mm. Now he gets a big contract. Now he gets his second bigger uh, extension that's going to be a four-year, $140 million extension, $65 million signing bonus. The total guarantee is $107 million. There is a no-trade clause. So now he's under uh, contract for five years and $157 million. And most importantly, if you're a Seahawks fan, 
you're staying in Seattle. This is incredible. I wasn't that far off because I think we were talking about this when he put down his demand. I said, right. why don't you give him four years, 120, make it fully guaranteed, and you know, say, all right, go ahead. Obviously, maybe he took the the choice of, hey, I don't want it all fully guaranteed, but I'll get the bigger on the back end and I'll risk it. You know, hey, you can cut me if you want to get rid of me. Right. He's probably going to see all this, or they'll extend him again towards the end of this. Uh, young quarterback, still in his prime. I think when you look at Russell Wilson, he's been underrated the last couple years. Like he plays handcuffed every year. Absolutely, he does. And but that begs the question: like, is he still going to be handcuffed now that they've given him this thirty-five million a year deal and annual value, which makes him the highest-paid quarterback, uh, leaping over Aaron Rodgers? I think there's a chance you could do that, but I think what he's proven, and they're getting closer to it is he'll still produce at a high level. Now it's on the Seahawks to figure out the cap issues and figure out, are we going to draft better and get some other younger players around him to give him a chance? Yeah, uh, I think Seattle Seattle has a history of drafting well. I mean, even Russell Wilson. Yeah. They, 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 they all the well. Legion of Boom, like Richard Sherman, all those yeah, guys. Yeah, Cam they, they Chancellor, yep. Earl Tom, all of those guys, right? And yep. so they've got to continue. Now it's even more you know, imperative that you do draft well because you spent you know all this money on Russ. I think it's great. Um you know, he, he is, what, he started every game for seven straight seasons. Yep. Um, Takes care of his body, doesn't take a lot of hits because he's elusive enough. He's smart, like knows when to get down, knows yeah, how to protect tough. his body. One year he was really injured, though, and came out and still and still played yep. every game. And, you know, the numbers kind of speak for themselves. I think he's third, what, in turn, TD to interception ratio. He's 3.1. He's third best in the NFL. Only Aaron Rodgers and Tom Brady are better than that. Uh, so he plays every game. He's efficient. I, I do, and I've always had my concerns about how they kind of handle him out there if he's he's that electrifying i mean how many guys would you rather have the ball in their hands late in the game than him realistically and i'm asking how many how many out there so i think if you ask me like aaron Rodgers right now maybe you'd take him over mm-hmm. uh russ tom brady maybe true breeze but here's the thing that i think is interesting if you told me five years mm-hmm. you can take you know pick your quarterback this is a tweet i sent out this morning that coco just pulled up for us I would take Patrick Mahomes first, even though it's only been one season where he started, still it looked remarkable. I think the upside of him is a little bit higher than Russell Wilson. Then I would take Russell Wilson. Then I would take Andrew Luck. Now there was some really, the third one was really tricky. Andrew Luck is still pretty young. He's only 29, which I think some people think he's older than that because he's been in the league a while. He's been injured some, which was a concern for me, but he just had a monster year. Great. Kind of flew under the radar. It was really tough for me. Deshaun Watson, I was really close to putting him in that list. Even Baker Mayfield, I thought about it. But I was sure. like, you know what? I need to see another year from him doing it. But the Brady, Breeze, and even Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers is getting older. Like, I don't want him at 39 on the back end of this five, 38, 39. He's already had a couple concussions. He's had serious injury concerns yeah, in the last few years. And, so yeah. that's where, that's why I'm not even putting him in the conversation. So I think it's going to be fascinating well, to see what, what, you know, what transpires. If you're getting and, Russell but, Wilson in his prime now, he's 30. These are your prime years as a quarterback for the next five years. The question or my point about that was, cause I kind of agree with you. We, we could, you know, nitpick about the Andrew Luck and all that. I'm good with that, but. How many of those guys are asked to do as little as Russell Wilson is asked to do? Most of those guys get the ball to some degree, and they let them rip. I mean, there's some structure. Different uh, offensive coordinators have their different stuff that you're going to have to do for them as a quarterback. But a lot of those guys, when push comes to shove, get the ball and let it rip. And it seems like Russ plays three and a half quarters on on a really tight leash. Yep. And then it's like a, I don't know, nine, six ball game. Right. And then they're like, okay, now Russ, go. I actually love the season he had last year. Didn't put up the big uh yardage numbers, but
but very quietly, I got to look this up to make sure I get it right, had an incredible amount of touchdowns. And like, I think people were sleeping on him a little bit. So yeah, he had, so you had Patrick Mahomes had 50, Andrew Luck had 39 touchdowns. That was second. Matt Ryan had 35, Russell Wilson had 35. So he was third overall in touchdowns. Now the yardage, which was surprising, so he was 1,600 yards behind Patrick Mahomes right. with only 3,400 yards, which, you know, ranked pretty low in the overall scheme of things. But I think that's where the Seahawks were smart with him. They ran the football more and they, he was much more efficient, which yeah. I think is the smart and way to pres- do it. And you preserve your quarterback. You preserve, yep. you know, you preserve the back I'm end curious of the career. To, I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this. So his agent was asked about it. Uh, Adam Schefter got a quote from his agent, Mark Rogers said, quote, at the end of the day, my guy wants to live, work, thrive in Seattle. Loves this town and its fans. He compromised to stay here. I respect that. Do you think there was any truth? There were multiple rumors. That he wanted, he wanted a different team. Didn't love playing in Seattle. Sierra wants to move to New York. Do you think there was any truth in any of that? Or do you think it was all floated out there to get this deal done at this time? I think there was probably a, a shred of truth in that, but most of it probably floated out to get the deal done. Right. Um, there were, there, I, looking around and from what I understand, having read a few of these articles, there wasn't a huge, market out there for Russ having to pay him what you were going to have to pay him to keep him and then having to pay Seattle to get him uh, with these young crop of quarterbacks that are coming up this year, next year. I don't know what that market was. So I think he knew exactly what position he was sitting in. Yeah. And I think they floated a lot of that, but every player, no matter, you know, every, you can love your town, Yep. but every player, there are places that, that they know they would like to play in one, right. one, at, at one point or another. So I think a shred of truth, but ultimately, um, I think they position themselves right. I'm with you. I, I don't, I, you have, and especially now, like if Ciara wants to, they live in LA, a large part of this pretty nice setup. Mm-hmm. Uh, you only play in four or five months out of the season. You could commute back and forth, spend the weekends wherever you want. Right. If you really wanted to be in New York, you could still work that out. Like you, you got 65 mil guarantee yeah, now. Figure it out. A jet and you know, you're back and forth. That's no big deal. I think there probably was a shred of truth to it. Maybe he was enticed, like excited about maybe hearing what's out there. But to your point, teams are like, Hey, are we going to have to give up two ones and a, maybe a, and a player and, you know, and have to pay him? They're like, no, it's not worth it. And it's not an insult to Russell. Danny, so what do you think this does for someone like Dak Prescott, who's he's the next up and it's the Cowboys. Do you think this sort of, you know, sets the market for him? No. Like, unless you want to divide it in half. <laughs> like, because that's like raise his bar a little bit, but it's not, yeah. he's not going to be. What's the expression? A rising tide lifts all boats. Correct. Like, so you're not, you're not the mega yacht, but you're still one of those <laughs> nice little yachts that are cruising through and you'll be riding in a nice neighborhood. Sure. Uh, but he's still, to me, like this, the, the discussion we just had about those top five quarterbacks, like Dax probably in 10, 11, 12, which is a tricky range to be in because you're a good quarterback. You're not great. Yeah. And that's a tough spot to be in. Like for a franchise and the quarterback. Like to me, he needs to take that next step and really start solidifying him as a passing quarterback. And he just hasn't done it yet. That's why I think he'll play out this year. I want to ask you about, uh, the video, the release of Russell Wilson. Yeah. Him and Sierra late. Did you like that? Did you, did you not like that? I don't, I didn't love it. He's kind of cheesy. Yeah. Like a lot of people, there are a lot of Russell Wilson haters out there. They think (laughs) he's a phony. They think he's fake. I think cheesy is probably the best way to describe it. I just thought it was kind of corny. It's like, hey, look at me and my superstar girl in bed. And maybe it's rubbing salt in the moon. Maybe we're all just haters. Maybe we're all jealous. You were, you liked it? I mean, yeah, I guess if you're – I don't know why. Because right? I'm usually – I don't like cheesy stuff either. And, right? and I could make a case that that was cheesy. But my first reaction when I saw it this morning was like – Man, that's pretty cool, but yeah, it hey, must be nice. Good for you, but hey, exactly. You know what I mean? Exactly. I think it was interesting because 
Whenever you hear snort when she when she laughed, she she snorted, which I don't know if I would have put that out there. (laughs) She can do whatever she wants. But look, he's got a when he's in front of a camera, he has this buttoned up, uh, very like grammatically correct, polished Polished. way of speaking. I felt like the dude, his alter ego that you might see at the family barbecue came out. Right. He didn't the real the authentic speak the same way in that video. (laughs) Right. If you can dig what I'm saying. Yeah, absolutely. It's more authentic. Yeah, it was he He is he gets crushed. If I was giving a class to college quarterbacks on how to handle yourself with the media, I would put on Russell Wilson and say, Here we go. Media types hate it because he gives a lot of cliches. He's always positive, never throws anybody in the bus. Right. That's exactly if you're a franchise, you're like, that's my quarterback, never going to yes. give you anything. It's it's not good for us, but that's how you should carry yourself. I think you give a class on it with Russell. I Wilson. liked it. Some I people it was hate funny. that. That was good. <laughs> It was a very bright, shining light, Sarajevo. And they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. Explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo. Thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. U2, they represent a personification of our resistance. The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future, moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future! Viva Sarajevo! Kiss the Future. New documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck. Explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo. Thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. Kiss the Future. New documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply. All right. Welcome back to Canel and Bell. I'm mad at myself. Mm-hmm. And actually, I was still mad at my sports book for screwing me over in the Masters with my bet uh, with Webb Simpson, which still hasn't been resolved, by the way. I uh, asked a lot of people about it, and uh, they were kind of half was on my side, half. Really? With, that seems uh, pretty cut and dry Dead heat rule yeah. with Webb Simpson finished tied for uh, fifth and not getting the solo fifth. It was kind of an issue. Uh have to get to that to another time. <laughs> um, so I didn't bet the game because I was still boycotting my sports book. But there was there's a bunch of – you know there's a bunch – there's like a whole mafia of NBA dorks that are like analytics nerds uh-huh. out there on Twitter. Of like and They really get mad. They're like – they're the big minutes restriction, all that type of stuff. Right. So this dude, Ben Falk, do you know who he is? He was previously VP of basketball strategy with the 76ers, an analytics manager with the Blazers. So one of these basketball dorks that I'm talking about. He had a philosophy last night, and he wrote an article about it. He said, last night's game is a great example of what I call the, quote, desperation effect. A home team losing game one is going to come out playing much harder knowing they can't drop two at home. You I should needed, have jumped all over that. You needed analytics to. Yeah. <laughs> that, somebody had to break down a saber metric to that's, give us that nugget. <laughs> he wrote a whole thing like a <laughs> analytics piece on the like all of it broken down. Right. You are right though; it's a common sense thing. Like, <laughs> yeah, you better come out fired up. It's a playoff. Win or go home. Exactly. You better do it. So they did exactly that. They came controlled most of the game against the Nets after the disappointing game one. Won one forty five to twenty three. Ben Simmons played much better. He only had nine points uh, in the first game, playing thirty two minutes. This game only thirty minutes. 18 points, second career playoff double. They just looked like a team that was coming out ready to handle their business, exactly like our buddy Ben Falk was talking about. Yeah, except they didn't early in the game. It was a slugfest through the first half. Um, they still couldn't figure out how to guard Spencer Dinwiddie and D'Angelo Russell and Karis LeVert in pick-and-roll situations where either Embiid uh, or Boban Marjanovic were in the pick-and-roll. And they Brooklyn was was you could tell their game plan was to keep that thing wide open, put those guys in pick and roll every time and dare them to try to guard those guys on the perimeter. And it was good early because the Sixers were kind of bought into playing a perimeter style game. 
Brooklyn did a good job of sitting in a zone, 2-3 zone, daring the Sixers with some of those issues with Ben Simmons to really shoot the ball. And it looked like they hadn't really figured out what the recipe for success against it was. And then in the second half, they came out and they played bully ball. Yep. The Sixers went to work and bullied the heck out of Brooklyn. Yep. To your point, in the third quarter, the Sixers dominated. They outscored them 51-23. to Really were much more efficient on the glass. They had 15 boards to the Nets only four. And it was just, that, that was where the game changed on a hinge. Sixers points in the paint, 62, um, to 48 for Brooklyn. Rebounds, 49 for the Sixers, 32 rebounds for Brooklyn. That you, again, this comes down and we talked about Golden State not being dialed in. The Sixers for different reasons. They're just an immature team. They, they, they have some maturity issues. I think you've seen that rear its head a couple times in these playoffs. They weren't as dialed in as they needed to be against a Brooklyn team that's kind of like the Clippers in that they're not going to lay down. They're going to scrap and fight. You saw them in the second half say, all right, all right, all right, all right, let's get, all right, all right, all right, let's get focused. We're in a ball game again. We shouldn't be in a ball game again. What, where, where does our advantage lie? All right, we're going to pummel them. Let's, let's go. We're going at the bucket. Apparently, uh, uh, coach Brown went in there and lit a, lit a fire under yep. some people, which good for him. The players said it was the angriest they've ever seen him and said he got cursed out at halftime, uh, for their defense specifically. That's totally an effort thing. That's where you can ride them. Did you ever have a memorable butt chewing? I was going to say, I don't know if we're allowed to say it. Uh, oh, like at halftime yeah. that you remember specifically? I remember giving them and getting them. Like <laughs> Jerry Sloan, uh, had one. I, I don't remember exactly what game it was, but we were at home. We were in an old locker room. Greg Ostertag was on that team. Um, I remember that because they almost fought at halftime. I don't remember exactly who else was on my team, but yeah, Jerry, Jerry was notorious for. Did it work? Of course. It did. Yeah. So I have one. Mm-hmm. When I was a rookie, Dan Reese is the head coach of the uh, New York Giants. We were out, it was towards a later end, later portion of the season. I think we were, you know, we were probably like three and nine. Like, yeah. you know, it wasn't that good. We were, right. I think we were out of the playoffs. We went to LA, or we went to San Diego, uh, playing the Chargers at the time. We were getting, like worked at halftime, like twenty-one to three. So we come in. I'll never forget it because Bobby Bowden was not a big, you know, chew you out type of guy, sure. and we were dominating most of our games. We never had that issue. So Dan Reeves comes in, and they always have this, uh, like table sitting right in the locker room that has orange peels and Gatorade, yeah. and cokes. It was kind of weird. Uh, they had all this stuff laid out. I don't know why Coke was always in the locker. Room. I don't know why, but he came in and did the old like. Vroom, like threw it up on the side, took one of the coolers, chucked it against the wall, laid into us. Mm-hmm. You know what happened in the second half? Laid an egg. Continued to get worked. <laughs> like it did not do anything. No, nobody, everybody was shocked, but it didn't like light a fire under us. Only really happens when you're the better team. That only really bears right. fruit when you're the better team. Exactly. We were clearly not. I've never been a fan of suggesting a team fights, mm-hmm. but I think you might see a fight in this game because of the disrespect that was shown from one Joel Embiid. So watch what transpires. This is Jared Allen. Embiid's driving down. Gives him a, oh, right there, elbow in the face. Jeez. Gets called for a flagrant one on the play. You can see it. I'll get your thoughts after if you think this was a flagrant mm-hmm. one. Said it was not intentional. It's a pretty good elbow. Jared Allen gets a jaw. Like, that. you see his jaw kind of check almost like a fight? Um but see, that's not the bigger issue that I have. Uh, we have the sound ready. I want to hear what Joel Embiid said after the game when he was asked about it. Obviously, it wasn't intentional, uh, and uh, I got him pretty good, and I'm sorry about it. Uh, but <laughs> okay. I'm sorry about it. Uh, it wasn't intentional, uh, but it's just me trying to be aggressive. Uh, I'm not usually humble. That's why he, he's laughing. But 
All right, he started off great. Like, it wasn't intentional, didn't mean to hurt him. And then the laughing, I think, is downright disrespectful for a dude that had a bloody, like, he was getting blood. If I'm Jared Allen, I'm coming out swinging the next game. I don't know that Jared Allen can do it. Every team needs a good goon. Right. Every team needs a good goon for situations just like that. Yep. And your job is to go out there and jack his behind up. Somebody needs to. You get a chance to get him in his ribs, try to separate him. You get a chance. No, serious, real talk. Right. That, that, an elbow like that, I've, I've been on the unfortunate end of the receiving doing, end. No, the, the, the giving end and catastrophically hurting someone with an elbow like that. Inadvertent, but caught him just right on his, on his orbital socket and fractured his whole face. Like, and I, do? this was in a pickup game at University of Miami. Um, good dude. Didn't mean to hit him in his face. Complete accident. But I, I was making a move going baseline and he was coming from the baseline to double and I didn't see him. And as soon as that, the tip of that elbow hit his face, I felt it like an egg shatter on my, on my elbow. And it was the grossest feeling and I felt terrible. And whenever I see him, I, I don't even have the words to, to apologize for it. But, um, he was three inches away from that. He just was lucky enough that he caught Jared Allen, uh, Jared Allen with kind of the back of, of his tricep a little higher on the arm. If he had caught him with that elbow, that kid's face was going to be Rudy Tomjanovich. Right. And I don't believe it to be unintentional. I think he should have been ejected from the game. You saw them eject, um, the kid from Detroit a couple nights, Andre Drummond for a, sh- a shove on Giannis Antetokounmpo. You set a precedent like that with what you're going to suspend some or, or what you're going to kick someone out of a game for, then he should have definitely been kicked out of the game last night. I feel like if the Sixers were up 1-0 in that series, he would have been kicked out of the game last night. They, they, they were not going to kick him out of that game, and I think they made a mistake. And if they were being honest and all things were considered equal, if they went back and they looked at that film, they'd suspend him for the next game and they'd upgrade it to a flagrant two because he tried to break that man's face. And I think this is at some point you got to look at the entirety of the situation too. Look at him laughing like that's him not showing if, if any remorse if you, whatsoever. If you and to your point, it was right before halftime. If they, they made their big comeback right in the third quarter, if they don't have him, who knows how the game unfolds? I, you always are on top of this. Like there are kind of playoff rules, certain player rules where they take things different. They won't do anything about this. They won't do. They anything. should. They, they should. They absolutely. And because if you if you with the NBA, and I've had a lot of phone calls with the NBA about intent. And they've gone ahead and suspended me because they couldn't be sure that I didn't try to do something. Well, if you had any reservations about whether he did or didn't try to do it, look at those idiots up on the press on the on the podium laughing about it. All that was was we came in the locker room and somebody said, "Hey, bro, did you mean to hit him?" He was like, "Yeah, bro, I tried to break his face." Exactly. And then you got up there and you lied about it, and your immature little buddy next to you couldn't hold his water, and he starts laughing, and now you're laughing. Yep, this team needs to grow up. Like you've talked a lot about it in here, Joel Embiid. Like he thinks it's funny and he thinks it's cute, and he's going to run into the wrong dude at some point. Well, that says this ain't cool. It, the thing is now in in today's NBA, there are not many of those guys. Right, they don't you think exist. Jared Dudley could be that guy for the Nets. Nah. He didn't dress out. No, he's nah. not going to do it. No, nah, I don't think Jared. I mean, Jared, Jared's a cool dude. I like Jared. I don't think Jared is your you're in, in, in intimidating goon type of dude. Uh, and, you know, Joel Embiid's got something going for him. He's seven feet, 260 some pounds. Like, you need a Kendrick Perkins. Yep. Yeah. You need a, you need a boogie cousin. Somebody that's coming out there. Boogie cousins that you don't need to win games. Right. Somebody built like that and mean like that. Yep. It'll be interesting to see as this series play out if there's any, uh, consequences from that action. All right, welcome back to Canel and Bell. Ross and I just talking a little spring football between the uh, breaks there. Tate Martell, not the best spring game for Miami. And James Blackman threw for like 400 yards off so of Florida dumb. State. Just yeah. a little reminder. Spring games don't mean anything, though. No, they really don't. Um, Zion Williamson surprised nobody. Made it official, though, that he has declared for the NBA draft. Comes out. 
most likely, I would say, I don't even know what Vegas odds are on him, but he's going to be the number one overall <laughs> pick. You've said multiple times you think maybe you would take somebody else. You'd love to have the number two pick yeah, what? Uh, to have that option so you don't have to make that tough decision. But now that's official. Um, you know, it's, he's, I think he's the next LeBron. You don't. Now, now it's get start. See, all right. When's the lottery? What happens? What, who gets the first pick? Where does he go? The draft lottery is May 14th. Uh, so that's when we'll find out. Like, where is he going to go? Yeah. I mean, he, well, he's, yeah. He, when he's going, we know. Where yeah. he's going is still up for, for debate. Uh, I talked to, I, I don't want to make it sound like I don't think Zion can be a good pro. I don't see him as this LeBron. LeBron. Right. That, that's all. Uh, you know, I, Steve, Steve Nash had the, the comments, uh, uh, about RJ, you know, and, and, you know, I talked to Steve after those comments and, and we kind of talked about Zion a little bit. Steve even sees Zion as being a really, really, really good pro. Um, probably more so than I do. I, I kind of just worry about, and maybe this is my old school, can't get him out of my own way and keep up with the times type of mentality. I, I wonder where he fits in. And, and you shouldn't because in today's NBA, all different kind of shapes, sizes they play and they're, they're, you know, guards used to have to be a certain size and, and now they're, they're tiny out there scoring a bunch of points and bigs used to be in the paint. Now they're out there, you know, Brooke Lopez is going between his legs, shooting double step back threes. It, it, the game has completely changed. So I'm sure Zion will be great. I do still think that guys like John Morant, um, a, a relatively raw RJ Barrett that's really gifted scoring the ball can really see the floor and pass the heck out of it. And I think that they have, more defined things that they do that make make me feel a little better about it, but man, I could be completely wrong on Zion. I it's, and you know what I love about him. Uh, by the way, there was a lot of speculation he was going to be at the Masters on Sunday. I don't know if he actually went or not, but I was looking all over from like right. that'd be cool. I just want to see the dude in person. Right. Uh, one of the reasons I'll be rooting for him, I really like the way he handles himself. For a young kid, I've seen, you know, he a lot does of that very guys, well. A lot of these guys, I think they put the cart before the horse. They just want to get the million, you know, they just want to make the millions. They just want to be a superstar without actually doing anything. I think he cares about basketball. I think he genuinely loves the game of basketball. You saw that when he was hurt, when he missed those games. Sure. I think his teammates loved him. There was no jealousy within that locker room, which I think would very, you know, you could easily see that happening with all these guys, you know, jockeying for top five positions in the draft. So I, like, I, I, I think he's got the right mind. Mindset. He's got the right work ethic. Like all the things that you need to be a superstar, I think he's got. Now, I, well, he could be a total flop, but I think he's heading in the right direction. That's an interesting thing, too, because I've never touched on that. I, I, I think he's fantastic, um, well, on the court and off the court. I just, you know, we talk about degrees of fantastic. I, I think, you know, as a kid, you've never heard a bad word about him. Like, right. No, one, no one's ever had a beef with him, so I applaud all of that, and, and I'm pulling for him. What becomes interesting to me is if you don't have this personality, can you be like the cash cow that Nike or Adidas or one of those people want you to be? Right? Like, I mean, it's selling shoes is one thing, but you, you, you've gotta, you've gotta have a personality to be able to sell. It can't just be what you do on the court. There are plenty of guys that are fantastic players, but they, they can't be this star. They don't have this, this personality. And I guess that, that question's already been answered because in college he's this mega star. Yeah. Uh, and, I mean, I don't know. I haven't seen, there are not many guys in the NBA that have no personality that are huge stars. Right. There's another player uh from the University of Virginia who has declared, Ty Jerome. It's coming out from yep. Virginia. It was one of those ones we even talked a little bit about it. Clearly not in a situation like Zion Williamson, but capitalizing on the run, the success he had in the Final Four, which I think is the smart move. you got to sure. strike while the iron's hot. Yeah, big guard. Um Because you were hoping he would come out. I was right? hoping he came out because it, it, the iron is hot for him. And pros uh, or guys that are scouting for the pros that know basketball realize, yeah, Kyle Guy was the, was the, uh, you know, most valuable player of the Final Four. And, and obviously the other kid, DeAndre Hunter is the most tantalizing physical specimen on that team right now. 
But Ty Jerome was the one that made that stuff go. He was the one that was making the plays that, that you want to see professional basketball players pl- make mentally. So guys that are watching it that really know, know that that was the, like, the, the straw that stirred the drink for, for Virginia offensively. So how cool would it be? Stirred the drink? Did I say stirred the drink or stirred the drink? The straw yeah. that stirs the drink. Yeah. Uh, you know what would be awesome? If Zion Williamson could get drafted right now. Today. And potentially be playing for an NBA playoff team. What? This happened in hockey. What are you talking All right. So there's a player. Okay. Kale McCarr. Okay. Got drafted by the uh, Colorado Avalanche. He was the fourth pick in the 27, uh, 2017 draft. So it didn't happen the way I thought it did. All right. So they would, he would have been drafted like baseball so, model, a, go to school. Yes. Okay. So they still owned his rights. Mm-hmm. So he went, played at UMass, won the, uh, the player of the year award, plays in the national championship game. And then two days later, he's playing with the Colorado uh, Avalanche in his debut and scores a goal. Like, I love the way that you can be playing and then go right in, step in, right into a, like, go from one level to the next. There's not a, a long wait in between. There's not, you know, any kind of, you know, just lull. There's a huge lull. I think they should do the draft and let you go right after. Eligibility done, though. Yeah. But he was done. I'm like, fine. he already did it. He already, yeah. yeah. I'm okay with that. I think it'd be awesome. Yeah. I mean, but you're talking about a whole nother. Like, if the NFL draft, you could, like, if you held the NFL draft January 1st, or like January 10th, mm-hmm. like, as soon as the, uh, the NCAA championship game was over, as soon as the final game was over, you don't, like, all this stuff is good and pomp and circumstance. It's good for us in the business. But if you held that draft right away, like, how cool would it be if you could plug in a running back from wherever and you could have him for your stretch run in the playoffs? No, that, that would be pretty, Interesting. I mean, it would never happen. I haven't had a lot of time to digest it and give you all the reasons why it wouldn't work. I'm purely (laughs) off of like what I like. They have to do their medical evaluations (laughs) and all these other sites. There are a lot of reasons I'm sure it would not work, but I'm with you. I I wouldn't mind seeing that. And if you were, you know, definitely if you were using that baseball hockey model where you drafted a kid out of high school, he didn't elect to come to you. He went and fulfilled his obligation in college and now he's done with college. Why prolong his ability to go? He's playing for you next year anyway. Just right. let, let him go ahead and report. Whether you use him or not, it's up to you as the club. Right. Yeah. Love it. And th- I think I kind of screwed up that analogy totally, but it's all good. Yeah, it's all right. We're, all right. We're rolling. I like, I like the idea. I like trying to think outside. Hey, you got a cool tie on today, bro. You I appreciate yeah, you that, man. You, you got the skull and crossbones, which you can't see unless it's really up close. Yeah. All right. Welcome back to Canel and Bell. It was Patriot Day in Boston. Annual tradition. It's awesome. They had the Boston Marathon. The Red Sox played 11 a.m. like early. It's just an awesome day. I'm mad that I lived within the vicinity and I never went and watched because uh, I think it's one of those sporting events, like a bucket list thing. Just yeah, I saw in. it. I've seen Big it. Big party. Like, oh, you, yeah, yeah, you yeah. Were there. You mm-hmm. saw it. Um, so you can go watch that. But there was an incredible finish uh, in the Boston Marathon. We're going to break it down right now. Third closest in the 123-year history. Lawrence Sherano okay. edged Lalisa DeCisa. Look at that. Those guys, that's after 26 miles. They're going all out sprint. You're that's telling me that's not the closest ever. There have been the third two, there's been two closer than that. Yeah. That's Apparently, fantastic. I'm just going with our uh, stats department here at uh, CBS. I couldn't imagine having anything left in the tank sprint wise. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, I, if you sprint past me, I, even if I, I'd probably just have to let you go at that point, cause I don't know that I'd have anything left in my body to give you. I, I don't think I would either. Do you have any desire to run a marathon whatsoever? No, none. I, um, I, when I was at Boston university, I had a sporting class, some kind of sports and rec class in the summer. Um, probably needed like a B, but the guy was like, everyone will get an A. All you have to do is complete Half of the Boston Marathon. It was 13 miles. Yep. To everyone else, that sounded great. (laughs) 
I was like, all right, I'll, I want, I need a B. Yeah. So to guarantee that, let's run the marathon. I got a mile into that. Shut and up. I start, Only pick, a mile? Pick me up, Holmes. Come I'm on. Gonna, my mind couldn't wrap You're itself. You're an athlete, bro. Come on. Any. Now, we had to run the three-mile run every year to start school. Yep. That's not a problem. Now that was I, your conditioning part. Yeah, I know I got three. You got to make it in a certain time. But then I got four more, like three more of those to run after that. I was like, I'm out. Let me just stop now before I even give you two more miles. I like to run. Like I, I'll run. Like I was telling you before, like this past week I was trying to get up. So I ran every day about three more, mm-hmm. uh, three miles, ran four, you know, started yeah. to amp it up. I was starting to get, and then I kind of messed up my back. I have a little bit of a desire to do a half marathon because I think it'd be a cool accomplishment and I think it'd be fun. I think it'd be hard. I think it'd be challenging, but I think it'd be doable. Um, but never a desire to do a 26. Roger, right? was there like levels to the grades though? Like if you did like a right. mile, could you get like no. a C? No. This was now you <laughs> was roll your, now no. you roll the dice on whether or not you get the B or not. <laughs> right. Now you gotta get uh, That just wasn't worth it to me. You know what? Great incentive. I kind of like that from the teacher. I got buddies that do like full on Ironman. Like our and, David Sampson works here at CBS Sports HQ with us. Oh yeah. Yeah. Nuts. Yeah. I love David. He's wired different. You have to be. You have to be. Yep. I, I don't have the mental fortitude. Yeah. I, I just, or, or depth, I guess, because there's only so much that's going through this little tiny brain, I guess. You get me out there for more than 30 minutes running. What am I thinking about now? Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't want to be in my own head that long. That's too much time with myself. Right. I, I can't do it. I worked with a girl at ESPN, Michelle Smallman. She's doing a half marathon in every state. It's pretty cool because she's doing it to raise money, which I think would be like, if I was going to run, I'd probably want, I need some incentive more than just, Hey, I want to complete it. Sure. Like, Cause I think I'd be lazy and I wouldn't do the work <laughs> to do it. Um, one of the unbelievable stories that came out of yesterday's race was Micah Herndon, a former Marine who survived an IED explosion in Afghanistan in 2010. But he lost three of his comrades who were also, they were lost their lives in the ambush. And there's video of him on Twitter. You can go check it out. And he's literally on knees, hands and knees, crawling to finish the line for his guys. Like it was one of those moments where I'm like tearing up. It's like, well, I'm like, I'm going to show my daughters this to show what it means to commit and to honor somebody who's fallen. Uh, but that's, that's one of those reasons I think it's a bucket list event. Sure. Cause I think you're going to see a number of people who run it for different reasons, which I think is a great aspect to it. Um, all right, so move on to the NBA playoffs because we got some more action tonight. Game twos. Mm-hmm. I said earlier about the, uh, the effect of losing game one at home, coming back with a desperation. Should I bet the house on the Toronto Raptors against the Orlando Magic? They are a 10 point favorite. Down 1-0 in the series at home, great home court, but Kyle Lowry, who knows who's going to show up when you look at him? Yeah, I, I would say do it. Ten's, ten a, ten, ten's a, a big, big number, number, right? I don't, well, I'm, I don't, I'm not that well versed in, in, 10 is a big number. I think last night, Debo might be out. I think the Sixers were an eight and a half point favorite, I think, against the Nets. Yeah, that number I would take. 10 is a big number. You might, you might take the Magic. The Raptors are going to win tonight, though. Yeah. Kyle Lowry will play better because it's almost physically impossible that he not play better than he did with the zero point production if, in the first game. He'll if, be better. If you're his head coach, what do you tell Kyle Lowry? Like in the last 48 hours, what's your message to him? Like, what are you telling him? Get away? Are you telling him, relax? Like, what, like, <laughs> I'd probably tell Kyle, this is kind of interesting to me because it's the same, it's the same story, right? You change coaches, you, t- you change players yeah. to some degree and you still get the same story going on. And, and, and Dwayne Casey lost his job. I like Nick Nurse, but we're talking about the same thing. Here we are again, same thing. Um, so just shout out to Dwayne Casey for maybe not having had to lose his job over there. Right, right. But, um, what I'd probably tell Kyle Lowry, and this is just off the top, is like, you're, you're, you're a perennial all-star. We ride with you. You're our guy. No one is tripping about what happened, man. Show up. We'll be ready to hoop. Everybody's got your back. Don't even think about it. Just, you know, something in that vein. It, it wouldn't, it would be trying to take as much, 
of the mental pressure that he's feeling uh, himself off of his shoulders and let him know unequivocally that he's our dude and this team is his and people take his you know, they follow his lead and they'll be right there to do it again tonight. Kyle Lowry was asked about his performances, you know, not going scoreless in game one. He said, quote, not scoring any points doesn't mean I didn't affect the game. I think that's kind of the right. I'd rather hear him say this than have that press conference that he gave a couple years ago. And he's like, I don't know what's going on. I'd rather hear him say that. I'm with you. With, I'm that with shows you're like, your mind's in the right and spot. And that's I true. Think. And I try to tell kids he that. He needs to get more than zero. Yeah. I mean, when you're that kind of guy, you need to have more than zero points. But, and, and, and he is correct in that there are a whole lot of things he can do out there to affect the game that aren't in a stat sheet, yep. and I and I support that. And I do think that the message that he's projecting is is important. Uh, and so I fully expect him to bounce back tonight. They'll win the game. I might go on all in on that minus ten, uh, on laying the ten points. They're minus six fifty is the money line. I'm not touching that. I don't think there's any value in that one. All right, Spurs Nuggets. Pressure on the Nuggets. Yep. Antonio won game one, 101-96. The Nuggets are that team that's kind of new in this territory, being the two seed. They're not used to this position. San Antonio's a, you know, experienced coach, you know, incredible coach. I wouldn't touch this one. <laughs> you would not. Would this not. is not one of those where you say, all right, the, uh, the comeback effect is going to be there. Well, Denver's laying seven. You, th- you look at who's got the better coach. Oh, it's not, no question. I Who, mean, Pop's a legend. Who's got the best player? San Antonio. I, I mean, you know, uh, you start to do that with this. I, 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 I can't touch the Nuggets, and I've told you, I, I like the Nuggets. I thought they were a great story. They are a star away from maybe being a real, real threat in terms of winning a championship, but I'm talking about a star star. Right now, I don't know who the guy is, and right. Mike Malone's done a great job there, but Pop is Pop. I'm not touching that. I, I, I could envision a scenario where the Spurs are going back to San Antonio up to zero. Michael Malone, uh, head coach for the Nuggets, had a great quote uh, talking about the depth. He said, they're coming off the bench with Patty Mills, Bellinelli, and Rudy Gay. We're coming off the bench with guys that were in the G League last year. I mean, and that's a testament to what he was able to do, and those guys were able to do this year regular season-wise. But the playoffs are a different animal, baby. Right. All right. The other team that took care of business when they were at home was Portland uh, Portland the other day. Covered for me. It was uh, They were laying three and a half the other day. Laying two tonight against the Oklahoma City Thunder. Uh, Oklahoma State member Paul George said his shoulder issues were there. Uh, Russ was banged up a little bit. It was OKC. Is health becoming more of a concern in this one? I don't know. Um, it is. I uh, don't know how bad any of those injuries are. I had the Thunder winning this series. You did? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had the if you could take a mulligan and change your mind right now, would you? No, but so I'm would. scared. Right. I am. They don't, they don't, they don't look great. And if they don't control Ennis Cantor, and to some degree, one of those guards, they're going to lose the series. They can't They can't afford to be given Ennis the type of numbers that he had last game. And Ennis is one of those dudes, he's always into it with somebody. Right? He's into it with LeBron. He's into it with the Turkish government. He's into right. it with somebody. But he gets fired up. He gets motivated. That was one of his former teams, and he came out and he put on a show. If, if they're going to let him duplicate that over and over again in the series, they have a problem. You know what my lock of the day is going to be? Huh? Portland laying two. You're taking Portland. I think a lot of people are having the minds. I'm looking at some of the money. 68% of the bets are on OKC. Yeah. 72% of the money's on OKC. I think most people think OKC is going to be fine. They're going to tie up the series, go back home. I don't know. I think that's like the obvious thing. I think Portland's really good. I think they played it. They had an outstanding performance the other day. I, just, I don't know. That's, that's my lock good. of the day right there. I haven't seen a lot of teams lose a, a, a Yusef Nurkic and be able to, they were owing their last 10 playoff 
games, man. They've been swept the last two years. I just didn't see that one. It was only game one. I, I shouldn't panic. I'm, I'm with the Thunder. I'm rolling. All right. I'm series. going with Portland. We'll break it all down tomorrow, all those three playoff games, see what happens in the NBA, that and much more tomorrow on Canel and Bell. Thanks for hanging out with us. Today.